Hi, peeps. You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, a new baking podcast from Cherry Bomb. I'm your host, Jesse Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each Saturday, I'm hanging out with world-class bakers and pastry chefs and taking a deep dive into their signature bakes. Today's guest is Claire Saffitz, one of the most popular baking instructors on YouTube. Claire is also the author of two New York Times bestselling cookbooks, Dessert Person and What's for Dessert. Do you sense a theme here? Not only is Claire a dessert person, but as you're about to learn, she's also a self-described fruit dessert person. She and I talk why bakeware is the most important thing for your pie, butter slices versus cubes, her favorite types of apples and blueberries, and, you'll all like this, how it's almost impossible to overbake a fruit pie. Stay tuned for Claire. Today's show is presented by Le Creuset and California Prunes. Some housekeeping. Because we're a new podcast, I would love for you to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, please leave us a rating. I'm okay with five stars. And a review. Tell me the bakers you want me to interview and the baked goods you're obsessed with. I'd love to know. And then head to cherrybomb.com and sign up for our free weekly baking newsletter. Learn about our upcoming guests and get that week's recipe. Here's a word about Le Creuset. For nearly a century, Le Creuset has been creating joy in the kitchen and beyond as the first in colorful cookware, the finest in quality and design, and the favorite for generations of cooks and bakers. And you know what? I love my Le Creuset so much that I have them hanging on the wall in my kitchen. I use them when I bake for melting butter, for making honeycomb candy and caramel, for shoe pastry, and more. And also, of course, when I cook. They are literally my everything. And this season, I will definitely be baking bread in their new bread oven. If you haven't seen it, it's a two-piece enameled cast iron set that includes a domed lid to help trap and circulate steam for that perfect, golden, crispy crust every time. It comes in gorgeous Le Creuset colors, including flame, cerise, and Marseille, which happens to be my Le Creuset color. Whether you're making a wish list for your kitchen or want to add to your existing collection, head to lecreuset.com to discover the world of Le Creuset, browse their beautiful colors, and even snag some recipes. Claire, so happy to have you here on She's My Cherry Pie and so excited to talk about fruit pies, pie dough, and more with you. My favorite subject, truly. Thank you for having me. Yay! You're a two-time best-selling cookbook author. You've been described as the Internet's beloved baking star. And though I think that's a pretty apt description, I also say beloved baking teacher, as you have so much to teach us and there's so much to learn from your YouTube show Dessert Person, which you created to showcase your first book. Each episode is crazy chock full of tips and tricks. More than even the tips and tricks, you have this, like, wonderful vulnerability you're very humble. You're so human. And like you show your mistakes and you don't need to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. Like where does that come from? Yeah. I often refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist. So I have that tendency in me. But as I get older and just more experienced, I realize that that's really not the approach that I want to have. It's not really the approach that leads to like overall happiness. So I don't go to great lengths to appear like I know everything because I know that I don't. And I think the more that I do baking, and I'm guessing this is your experience too, the more I realize that there's always more to learn. Like you're, you've never reached mastery. I've reached a level of comfort and familiarity and knowledge that I, I feel really good about, but I know that there's always more to learn. And so I don't try, I've never tried to present myself as I know everything there is to know, only do what I do, because it's not accurate, first of all, and it's not very human. It's, it's just not relatable. So I make mistakes, and often it comes out of, and I think this is also very relatable, it comes out of something like, I don't feel like letting something freeze for as long as I know it should, or cool for as long as I know it should. And so I just proceed, or it's really hot in my kitchen, which is always the problem. So I hit these road bumps, and I do think that what's useful about it is I've learned how to troubleshoot. I think so much of baking is troubleshooting. And so that's what I get excited to share and to showcase on on YouTube is, okay, if this happens, don't worry, here's what you can do, or that kind of thing. Or this happened and it's not great, but 
no one will care, you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. And it'll still taste good. It'll still taste good. Yes, you 100%. Know? <laughs> but I also think what's nice is you show that it's not super, it doesn't have to be super serious. Particularly when you're learning something complicated, it's going to, or when making something complicated, it takes a long time. But there's just like a levity to the way you're doing it. I've read that Dessert Person, your first book, came to be because you felt on some level like you needed to defend dessert. And that what sounds like nice about what's for dessert, your second book, is that now you don't need to defend it. You're celebrating it. Exactly. Can you unpack that a little for people that don't know about how they connect in a funny way? Yeah. Dessert Person is all about my perspective as a baker, the kinds of recipes that I like to make and to eat and to share with people. And it did come out of, I think, my experience in food media where I did feel like I was the dessert person defending dessert to non-dessert people. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it's like I, I would be around people who would say like, oh, well, I'd rather have the cheese course or another cocktail than the dessert. And I was like, I can't understand why you're putting it in this way that's either or. It makes no sense to me. Like, why not have both? Dessert just felt like it was something that was like a little bit homely and less sophisticated, like among sophisticated eaters. So that really bothered me. And I say this in the introduction to Dessert Person, but sweet is one of the five flavors. I can't. How can you have a wholesale rejection of one of the five <laughs> flavors that exist? It's such a part of our experience of food. So Dessert Person was a little bit of a polemic. Here is my defense of dessert, and we should all experience it. And and I am a dessert person, and that was like a political statement in a way. And then I think what's for dessert is very much the result of having spent the last couple years since Dessert Person came out in a community of dessert people, where it wouldn't even occur to me. I don't have to defend it because we're all like-minded. And so I love that. I think Dessert Person brought together a community. I think the YouTube channel also helped a lot. So I just feel like I'm now in a space with other people who are also dessert people. And I all I get to do now is celebrate it rather than have to, I don't have to make a case for it anymore. So that, that's a very good place to be. And I think it represents an evolution in my thinking about dessert. I also think Again, this, I think, is your humility, which is so appealing, attractive, et cetera. But I think you've even said that writing What's for Dessert took you out of your comfort zone as a recipe developer. Can you explain that to people? Because I'm sure people are like, Claire can do anything. And it's cool to know that you were like, what? Yeah. As I said, dessert person is all baking. I think there's actually only one recipe in the book that's not baked. And it's, I think it's the English muffins, which are like griddled. So it doesn't technically go in the oven, but it's, for all intents and purposes, it's a baking recipe. And I, I sort of finished writing the book, and I was just, I remember talking to my editor about what am I going to do next, and just thinking about how there were whole categories of desserts that I never even touched, not only in this book, but just at all in my whole career, and how intrigued I was by things that were less familiar to me, like mousses and gelatin-based desserts and, like, puddings. I don't know if I had, I maybe had made pudding, like, one time or something like that. And so I felt if this book is going to be approachable stuff, then it made sense to do almost the inverse of Dessert Person. So to do a much wider breadth of things, like Dessert Person is more narrow and more focused around my particular love of baking and my approach with a lot of a wide range of difficulty. And so this book is the inverse. It's all pretty approachable stuff, but a really an expansive kind of uh, take on dessert of, of every category. So I love that. And I got to really explore stuff that I had basically never really made. And so I learned a lot. I learned so much writing this book. Can you just briefly describe your dessert style yeah. before we jump into to the recipe? Yeah. Well, this is very apropos because I, it is def I'm definitely a fruit dessert person. So I love taking inspiration from the seasons and the farmer's market. And it's a way of, I think, looking at time that's really helpful. It's like I get excited about each new season because I get excited about all the fruit that I get to, to bake with. And that's especially great in winter because of citrus. It's like I'm less bummed about winter because I get excited about the Meyer lemons and the Satsuma yep. tangerines, all the beautiful citrus. So Definitely fruit dessert. And I love pastry. I love yeah. the kind of flaky, buttery texture that you get from pastry. Yeah, kind of seasonally focused, fruit focused. And I, as I get more experienced and older, I definitely lean toward simpler kind of yeah. stuff. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you to California Prunes for sponsoring this episode of She's My Cherry Pie. 
What do California prunes have to do with baking, you might ask? The answer is everything. First, prunes are a great ingredient on their own when it comes to baking. Imagine a California prune bread with pecans and cardamom, or a ginger pruned snacking cake, or thumbprint cookies with a jammy prune filling. I'd love one of those right now. Second, if you're looking to make some healthy baking ingredient swaps, you can use prune puree as a replacement for sugar, oil, or even eggs in certain baked goods. Homemade prune puree is so simple. It's prunes and water blended together, and the puree keeps in your fridge for up to four weeks. And third, snacking. California prunes are a super snack because they're loaded with nutrients like vitamin K, dietary fiber, potassium, and antioxidants, all of which are good for your heart, gut, and bones, and you know how important that is. California prunes are portable, delicious, and have just the right level of sweetness. You can find California prunes at your favorite grocery store or specialty shop. To learn more and snag some great recipes, head over to californiaprunes.org. Now, back to our guest. We're going to tackle a couple of different apple pies of yours, your blueberry slab pie, sour cherry pie. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to talk about the pie dough first, because mm -hmm. that's always, at least to me and I think everyone, such an interesting discussion always to see uh -huh. how different people make different pie doughs. And what's really cool is that you have one recipe in Dessert Person that you've riffed on for what's for dessert. And right. as you said, like you're always tweaking and trying to make things a little simpler and a little mm -hmm. more user-friendly. So I thought it would be fun to kind of go through both and see the changes. Yeah, for sure. Both of them have the same ingredients. We'll go through those in a second. Mm -hmm. um, oh, in what's for dessert, it's double the recipe because it's for yeah. the double pie crust, but right. it's still the same ingredients, just different amounts. And basically what you've said about the difference is it's the same dough just brought together in a different way. Yeah. So this is, a, I think, going to be really cool for people. Yeah. So the, the dough is kind of, I mean, as we kind of know, some of us who bake, pie dough usually has about the same four or five ingredients. There's right. unsalted butter in yours. There's all-purpose flour. And do you have a brand, Claire, that you love that you usually, share with us? Typically King Arthur. Okay. Yeah. There's a teeny bit of sugar, and I think you've said that it helps for browning. Not You're not trying to sweeten the dough. You just want right. to get some color. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It just helps it caramelize. It doesn't okay. bring sweetness to it. You could use that recipe for anything savory. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Would you add a little more if it was a sweet pie, or it might? Not really. I mean, I, I'm often just, like, topping it with sugar. So that's helping. But in the dough, I just pretty much leave it Perfect. the same. And then kosher salt is in this recipe. And I just use kosher in everything. Yeah. I never write a recipe without it. Are you the same? Or do you sometimes have a use for fine sea salt? or? I almost always have kosher at home. I have usually like a couple of different salts at home. Yeah. But I have definitely found myself, if, if it's at someone else's house or in a rental or something, where the only thing is like, the random, yeah. it's like from the grocery store, the random like self, like grinder yeah. thing of like pink salt. It's yeah. like what even is, I don't even. Yeah. And I just do it by sight yeah, or by feel. I just, yeah. throw, I throw it in. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of like seasoning the dough. So it's very So don't flexible. overthink it. Yeah, yes. right, right, right. Yes. And then ice water. So in dessert person, those are the ingredients. We're now going to talk a little bit about the tools and the assembly. Dessert person is interesting because you take the butter, 10 ounces, you're going to take five ounces, cut it very thinly, stick it in the fridge. Mm -hmm. And my first question with that is, are you using a bench scraper to cut your butter or a chef's knife or usually something a, else? Usually a paring knife. A paring yeah. knife. Something small. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then you have your ice water ready, and then you're using a large bowl to whisk your dry. Is it like a glass bowl? Is it a metal? I'm very into glass Pyrex bowls, but I know a lot of people are into metal. Mostly what I have at home are metal. Okay. But I think glass or metal are good. Just okay. not, it's almost just never plastic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Half the butter's in the fridge. You're going to cube the remaining butter, toss that in. Yeah. You want to talk about why there are two... I know why, because I read your recipe. <laughs> but maybe right. the listeners want to hear. <laughs> yeah. And this is a change, definitely, from between the recipe and dessert person and what's for dessert. But the original thinking for that, for dessert person, was that different, not only sizes of butter, but like orientations of butter lead to different effects in the final dough. But the thin slices of butter, you're getting a jump start on the idea of flattening the pieces into sheets. And so eventually in the final dough, those get really thin and create that like flaky texture that you really want. And they're a little bit bigger. So you're getting like bigger flaky pieces. And then the cubed pieces, which you're working in first, 
those are getting much smaller and the smaller sort of more worked in the butter is, the more tender. So it's always about kind of that balance between tenderness and flakiness that I'm going for with an all butter. With an, I'm almost always all butter. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever even made... One with lard. A lard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's or, more of a Southern thing. Or shortening. Yeah. Right. I don't think I have either. Yeah. You're going to cube the butter and then kind of smash it in with your fingertips mm-hmm. until pea-sized. Then you're going to get those flat pieces, and you just told us why we want both. And I think you also wrote just like that those bigger pieces prohibit the gluten development. Or I, I heard it. Sometimes I'll say right, and sometimes I'll say heard, and uh-huh. I'm never sure which. <laughs> but I think actually you said this in a video, that it just prohibits the gluten development yeah. also to have those larger pieces. And you want us to get this kind of, I think you said coarse cornmeal? Yeah, that... cor- yeah, coarse meal. Yeah. I think one thing that happens when you work butter into a flour mixture is it will yellow a little bit. It really actually does look like a, mm-hmm. a yellow cornmeal, mm-hmm. but it's pretty coarse. And so a lot of times in like pie dough recipes, you'll see the language of butter should be, biggest pieces should be no larger than a pea or that right. kind of thing, which I think is like a, a good sort of general rule yes. of thumb. And then you're going to add... A quarter cup to like five tablespoons, maybe. I think in dessert yeah, yeah. person, it says five tablespoons of this cold water and mixing it in with a fork and then your hands. I love right. to use my hands. I know you don't want to get it too warm, but right. I just feel like it's just so good when you're trying to hydrate that yeah. flour and butter. Yeah. And both, I think notably in both books, everything is done. There's no food processor method. Yes. So yes. you're doing this by hand. I think touching it's really important. The fork at the beginning is just to avoid... The th- a thing that happens when you're adding water where, like, the water gets on your hands and then you touch the flour and then it gets really sticky on yeah. your hands. So you quickly mix it in with a fork just to get it absorbed. That's good to and know. And then you switch to yep. hands, which you just – it's a little bit cleaner. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you chill. And, again, this is going to be different. I'm just warning everyone who's – not warning. Exciting everyone who's listening because there is a change in this – in how this recipe is in Claire's second book. But this is – I think, and I hope you guys do too, super cool to see the differences. But So now Claire has you chill it for two hours, then take it out and do a letter fold. People know, but some don't. Do you mind just briefly telling us what a letter fold is and why we do it? Yeah. And I first picked up this technique from Tara Jensen, the incredible baker. And this is a kind of quick or like faux lamination. So lamination is the process of basically layering butter into dough that creates super flaky pastry like croissants or puff pastry. And this is like an ersatz lamination. So you basically roll it out into a thin slab that's longer than it is wide. And then you the letter fold is just like a folded into thirds, basically. And so that is taking all the little bits of butter that are in there, flattening them. And then when you layer, you're tripling the number of little like thin butter layers, basically. So it does produce a very flaky pie dough. Yeah. And then, again, in this recipe from Dessert Person, you have you have a rest for about 30 minutes before you're going to roll the dough out. Right. Now I thought it would just be interesting to take us to this stage of about to roll, but in the new book. Yeah. So in this book, all the butter's the same size. It's all thinly sliced. Yeah. Can, can you tell us why you got rid of cubes? Yeah. I love that we're comparing them because it's been – I'm so into the what's for dessert method that yeah. it's been a while since I've done the dessert person method. Well, um, it's, it was also funny to read them because I read the dessert person one first, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. They're two different kinds of butter. Oh, she does the letter fold. That's so cool. And then I read the next recipe. I was like, oh. I took those out. Yeah, you're right. like, where'd they go? <laughs> that was so cool. Right. But, right. but I get it when, yeah. you, when you see what – Well, and I do think it's significant that the recipe is doubled in what's for dessert because I feel like the best thing you can do for yourself as a baker is to have a pie dough in the freezer – and so I was just like, if you're going to go through this whole process, might as well make two, Agreed. you know? So that so I was like, okay, so I'm going to default. My default version will be two. And if you only want to make one, you can just have it, yep. you know? So I, I doubled it up right off the bat. And then, so in, in What's for Dessert, a big difference is just all thinly sliced. And that is for a couple of reasons. One, it's actually just like less work than cubing the butter. And I feel like it's not warming up as much. And the method, which we'll get to, breaks down those pieces quite a bit. And so you actually want to start with bigger pieces at the outset. And it's just faster. A lot, so much of the method in What's for Dessert is about minimizing the amount that you're working the dough, which produces a very tender crust and like handling it less. So by just starting with big pieces, once you get to the kind of like bringing it together with the water, it's already in the right size pieces. And also, I feel like the recipe not only does that, but it also uses the amount of time. 
So you have your thinly sliced butter. You're adding it to your whisked dry ingredients, tossing, using your fingers to mash up the butter a little. Here you make a well. Mm -hmm. You're adding your water, tossing with a fork like we just discussed. And then here's where things get crazy. (laughs) Claire has you dump all of those ingredients right then and there onto your work surface and you grab your bench scraper. And Ken, first, favorite brand of a bench scraper? Do you like the one with the wooden handle? Do you like the metal one? Oh, I'm the the person that throws every single thing except for knives in the dishwasher. So anything I can dishwash. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And tell us what happens when it gets dumped. Yes. As opposed to dessert person where you're assembling everything inside the bowl, I really felt like the sides of the bowl are an impediment because the one of the most important things with pie dough, besides temperature, is hydration. It's like you want to add just the right amount of water to bring the dough together so it's not going to crack when you roll it out. But you don't want to add so much that you're developing gluten or overdeveloping gluten and creating something wet and, like, stretchy. So that hydration is so important. And by getting it out of the bowl and spreading it out on the work surface, I think you're much better able to gauge the hydration and what is the right amount. So in this book, everything happens on the work surface. So you're not having to, like, just get below everything in the bowl and lift it up and mix. Like, it just makes it easier to see what's going on and to feel what's going on. So you get it out on the work surface and... That's after you've added the water, but you haven't really worked the water in. You've just quickly mixed it with the fork. So you have like super dry pieces, just dry flowery bits, and then you have like big wet clumps. And then what you're doing is you grab your bench scraper and you are chopping it up on the work surface, like Benihana style, <laughs> like, cho- you know, yeah, like you're on the flat top or something. And then so as you do that, you're kind of like chopping up those big wet clumps and working it into the drier areas and you're chopping up the butter into smaller bits. And then you kind of push everything periodically back into the pile, which is why the scraper is so useful because it's really easy. And your hands are not touching it at all. So there's no warming of the butter from the warmth of your hands. And eventually, as you continue this chopping motion, you'll notice that the mixture is becoming more uniform in texture, that the hydration, the, all that water is like touching all the flour evenly, and it's getting super evenly hydrated. The color is changing a little bit because the butter, because the, the flour is hydrating, and the mixture is turning a little yellow because you're working the butter also in. And you're also getting really different sizes of butter. You're getting little bitty pieces and then some bigger pieces. So that's why you just start with everything just bigger, because that chopping up takes care of that kind of like different sizes of butter. And I just want to flag that you're talking about color with pie dough because as bakers and as cooks, we're always looking when we're explaining a recipe to someone about different signs, where the way something smells, the way something looks, whether you're sticking a toothpick in a cake. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about the fact that pie dough actually changes, gets more yellow as it hydrates and as the butter is incorporated. And that's a really cool thing for people to look out for. Yeah, I don't think that I even was aware of it until I had yeah. made it like a thousand times. Yeah. And then I realized that that was what I was actually yeah. looking for, but hadn't really even called it out to myself. Yeah. So eventually you get this shaggy mass of kind of almost like big wet crumbs on your work surface. And that's when you can bring it together. So that's when you're like drop the bench scraper, use your hands, mash everything together. And I do have a little bit of an intermediate step where you're squeezing everything together so it holds. And if there's any bits that are still really floury and haven't been incorporated yet, then you like move the clumpy parts off to the side and leave the floury bits. And you can just add a little bit more water. One thing that's great for pie dough is to use like a spray bottle for water. It's so useful for pie dough because sometimes you have to add just like the tiniest bit of water. And it's so useful and and it spreads out. So it's like you're distributing it, you know. I'm sure people know this who've made a ton of pie dough, but if you haven't, that's another brilliant trick of Claire's, the separating the hydrated pie dough from the kind of the floury bits at the bottom of the bowl or on your work surface that haven't been hydrated yet because right. you don't want to overwork the dough by adding the floury bits in. Yeah. Separate out what's working and add a teeny bit of what That's in both recipes. Yep. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And, like, and you don't want to add more water to the parts that already have enough to hold together. A hundred percent. Yeah. So this method I love almost every time. It's leading to pie dough that has just that like Goldilocks amount of hydration. So you can roll it out and it doesn't crack and it's nice and smooth, but it's not wet. And so it doesn't produce. Yeah. Can you tell people, because there's no more letter fold, there's a different trick to get those layers. Tell And there's no weight to get to the letter fold or to get to this trick. Yeah. That was part of the 
the sort of calculus here was like I didn't want to have to have two waiting periods. So I do a different version of that letter fold. As soon as you bring the dough together on that work surface, I have you press it down into kind of a rough, a square or a rectangle. So you're kind of like compacting it. And I often use the bench scraper to help make straight sides because the more even it is, the easier of a time you'll have. And then so you compact it into this square rectangle thing and then you cut it into quadrants. Again, that bench scraper is like the perfect tool because you can use it to cut it. And then you're going to stack them. So bench scraper again, like to help you lift up the quadrants and stack them one on top of the other. And that's essentially doing the same thing as the letter fold. You press it all down, except for it's actually doing it times four instead of times three. And that's going to create all those layers. And then you actually then divide it in two. So you have, like, you know, your two crusts, your two portions. And at that point, you're, you're basically done. Right. You have to just chill it. You're chilling for, for about two hours yeah. for both dough. And then the kind of the recipes come together a little. After the two hours, you let it rest on the counter for maybe one, five minutes, two yeah. to five minutes. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but you're hitting your dough with a rolling pin. Yeah. So first question is, favorite rolling pin? I prefer a dowel-style rolling pin, and I like the ones from the Vermont Rolling Pin Company. It's a, it's a nice one. Oh, cool. What I love about your instructions about hitting the dough is you're basically saying, hold it and almost drop it. Yeah. Don't smash it. Can you? Can yes. you I'm a smasher from way back, <laughs> so tell me why I should not be smashing. I don't want people to, like, break clean through their disc of dough or whatever shape the dough is. And that's actually just very briefly backing up. I tell people, whatever the shape is of the final, if you're making a round pie and you want it to be round, or if you're making a slap pie and you want it to be rectangular, to chill the dough in whatever shape you intend it to be as you roll it out. Because it, it, like, you're kind of orienting this network of gluten in a way that it's going to want to maintain as you roll it out. But whatever shape it is, I tell people to you're going to lightly beat the dough, but it's almost like you are pulling up as soon as you hit it. Mm-hmm. Just You're not trying to break it in half. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not trying to like blast it to smithereens. But that kind of like thwacking is helping to soften the butter or make it more malleable without having it warm up mm-hmm. first. It's mm-hmm. like making it so that you can roll it out, but it's not, it doesn't have to get warm, mm-hmm. you know, in, before that point. I also thought this was fascinating. There are two different ways that you're going to be hitting if you're making a circle, a uh-huh. pie, or let's say you're making a galette or a slab pie. Can you tell us how you hit for a circle and how you hit for a rectangle? Yes. Yeah, so for a rectangle, I'm going lengthwise and crosswise, just in two directions. So all along the length, hitting it like in par- parallel, like wax, all up and down, and then giving it a 90 degree turn and doing the same thing in the opposite direction. And so that's going to maintain that rectangular orientation. And if it's a circle, I'm beating it. And what I'm actually doing is I'm beating it. I'm not really moving the rolling pin, but I'm moving the dough. I'm rotating the dough constantly, like after every whack. And that's to encourage the dough to kind of expand in every direction so that it stays round at the same time. Which reminds me, so there's definitely bench flour here. Yes. When you take that, you're, and you're pretty generous. Am I right in thinking? Yeah, like, I, you know, I went to culinary school, and they always were like, never add, like, add the tiniest amount of flour. Right. And it's like, I don't really feel like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, taking it on. Right. right. But I'm like, if it needs, right. better that you use the flour and prevent right. sticking than, than, it, than sticks. it sticks. And I think it's interesting in the banging is helping you get your shape. In dessert person, you kind of then start rolling. But what's interesting in what's for dessert, and again, I think as you streamlining, you're almost banging it till it's one half inch thick. Yeah. So then when you when it's time to roll, easy peasy. Yes. Love that. Yeah. I I feel like I can't start rolling if it's an inch thick because you can't even press it down. I mean, right. I'm, and so, and another thing, too, that I've noticed is how much the brand of butter makes a difference mm-hmm. because you don't actually have to, like, beat it so much if you're using a brand of butter that stays somewhat malleable when it's cold. Like, Kerrygold is nice and kind of malleable even when it's straight straight out of the fridge. I couldn't you know? agree with you more. Yeah. yeah. It's softer. Even when you chop, yeah, when you want, even when you want Kerrygold to be chilled, sometimes you're like, this is straight out of the refrigerator and right. it's soft. Right, yeah. right. It's better you stick it in the freezer. Yes. And then other brands of butter that I've used, like my husband and I use Ronnie Brook a lot. Very firm butter yeah. when it's cold. So like that is going to require more of that whacking yeah. to kind of soften it. Yeah. And then is it a 13-inch round we're looking for if we're yes. going to do like a 9-inch pie plate? Yeah. It's a generous amount of dough for the kind of standard non-deep dish 9-inch pie plate because I feel like for especially more beginner bakers, it's like it's helpful to have the extra yep. wiggle room. 
and you're rolling is just like you said for banging. You're moving your dough constantly. Yes. When you're rolling out, I think it's so important to keep that dough moving because you want the dough. It's hard to articulate this, but basically like part of the purpose of flour on the surface is that it's like ball bearings so that your entire dough is moving across the surface. If you're not keeping it moving, very often you're going to get sticking and you're going to get the very bottom of the dough sticking to the surface and then the top of the dough extending beyond that and like that's working the dough more so i'm always keeping it moving always if you have sometimes if you have a bigger piece of butter it flattens out and it gets soft and it sticks to the surface i'll just pat like a little bit of flour into that bit of of butter you know okay so now you're we're transferring the dough to our pie plate i think i know what you're what you recommend for a pie plate but what would you like people to use i do like glass I really, and I'm so much more attuned to this now at this stage of my career, but, like, the material of your bakeware is so important. It's maybe, like, the most important thing, and it's such a big variable. So I have a whole thing about, like, baking in glass and when you should do it, when you shouldn't do it. But pie for me, especially a fruit pie, glass is what you want. But, I mean, ceramic is there's so many beautiful pie plates out there. It's, like, use whatever you really like. But for me, it's glass. And because people who aren't sure can pick up the pie plate with pot holders, look at the bottom, and tell if their pie is properly baked. Yeah, exactly. I like like glass as well. And then in one of the videos I watched about transferring the rolled-out dough to the pie plate, you describe pulling the ends inward. Like you're trying to get this perfect slump of crust. Can you describe what is pulling the ends inward mean? Yeah. So I take those that overhang and I lift it up so that it's more like inside the actual walls of the pie plate. And that helps to redistribute the weight so that the parts of the dough that are going to be along the walls of the pie plate naturally, like gravity kind of naturally pulls them into the pie plate so that I'm not stretching it. That's really important. I think if you stretch it, you're working the dough and you're going to have shrinkage and maybe some cracking. And so you really want the dough to kind of naturally take the shape of the pie plate without lots of stretching. Yeah, pressing. That kind of like lifting in of those edges helps that slumping motion. You know, gravity can kind of do its thing. Otherwise, I think the weight is keeping it from kind Mm -hmm. of working into that, that like very crucial place where the sides meet the bottom. And then you're sort of pressing the edges around what you actually say, press the edge to kind of anchor the pie dough above. And then for both recipes at this point, you're going to refrigerate. It may just be while you assemble the filling, but you're giving it a little chill now that it's in the pipeline. Yeah. I mean, all that rolling is kind of working the dough and it's kind of developing the gluten and you want it just to relax. So you want the butter to get cold again. You want the dough to relax. That's going to help you later on. And so you can just throw it in the fridge and you can do that in advance if you want. And just that kind of pressing in is good because ensure, especially in a glass pie plate, but ensuring that contact everywhere between the dough and the pie plate is going to help you with browning. So it's yeah. like if there's big air pockets, you're just not going to get the kind of browning that you want. I wanted to talk about the cinnamon sugar apple pie mm-hmm. and what's for dessert. Oh, yeah. So I awesome. love that pie. And I love this. You said it disproves the theory that baking does not use fresh ingredients and can't be seasonal. There's a crumb-topped apple pie that I also love that's on your YouTube, but we're going to talk about the cinnamon sugar one first. So one thing I love about this is your commitment to the simplicity of cinnamon in an apple pie. Yeah. I do kind of think cinnamon is overused, but if there's one place to use it, it should absolutely be in in an apple pie. Love. Yeah. So first things first, you make a cinnamon sugar mixture. Right. Take two tablespoons out of that to sprinkle over the pie at the end, and the rest will be part of your filling. I wondered if you have a favorite cinnamon. Like that we should all... Oh, you know, I recently started using the King Arthur brand Vietnamese cinnamon. Ooh, I mean, I'm, I'll use like whatever grocery store yep. cinnamon because that's what people are using. Yep. But when you get like a really high quality true cinnamon, it is yeah. pretty special yeah. actually. Yeah. That sounds delicious. And then for the apples here, you call for dark brown sugar. I just wondered, can we use light brown? Could oh, we yeah. Use you granulated? can use light brown. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was because... I'm starting with granulated so I can make that cinnamon sugar that is that classic cinnamon sugar and then kind of like compensating with dark brown, but you can use light. I think you said this in the video that you also kind of like using the – maybe I made this up, but you like the dark sugar in the filling because it covers any brown spots of the apples. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. I I mean, your apples can brown. Right. Uh, Apples brown. I know, but I remember in in the bakery I worked at, we were always like covering them in lemon juice and ice water while we made the pie dough and it's just – 
I'm not sure that's necessary. Yeah. I mean, maybe for like a beautiful French galette or something. Exactly. Where you're like, you know, but like for a pie. No. Agreed. And I love that you use cornstarch because that's the thickener I always use. Is that your fave? Do you ever do tapioca or like any of the other or flour? Yeah. I mean, I've never, I don't like flour because it's so cloudy. Cornstarch has always been my go-to. Yeah. I would like to experiment with tapioca. I know that there's a lot of, like, nuances between thickeners, and some are, like, we'll have better gelling and we'll be more clear. But I just feel like cornstarch, it's so accessible, and you can find it literally anywhere. It's felt like that is... I I don't want people to have to search for their thickener, you know, for for a pie. A little bit of orange zest? What does that do? Does it pop the apple, or does it taste orangey? It's actually orange zest all over this book, because I love what it does in small quantities. It doesn't give it, like, a pronounced orange flavor, but when you mix, I have found orange zest and brown sugar and some vanilla because there's a little bit of vanilla it just creates this really complex kind of background flavor that i really love and it's such a look it's such an easy thing to include yeah. just like you know that's a little orange in so it's not a lot because orange is a very prominent flavor yeah. it can really kind of overpower but in small amounts it's at such a nice kind of like background complexity oh, that's nice pinch of kosher salt and then in this recipe you you ask for pink ladies talk yes. to me about a pink lady We'll get to it, but I'm, I'll, I'll just, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the apple in the other pie. Yeah, but in the yeah, other yeah. pie, you call for Granny Smith. So right. I was like, I'm like Claire. I love Granny Smith. But then you like screwed me all up because then you call for <laughs> Pink Lady. I was like, oh, right. I'm not like Claire. So actually, Pink Lady is yeah. more of my default baking apple. Ah, interesting. Because you can find it anywhere. But uh-huh. then when I was thinking about the cinnamon sugar apple pie yeah. and what's for dessert, because accessibility was so important to me, I was like, you could find Granny Smith at like a bodega, truly anywhere. Totally. So I wanted, in fact, now that I think about it, I think you really could probably buy all the ingredients for that apple pie like at a bodega. Yeah, which you know? is amazing. I love that. So that was important to me. Plus, I love the acidity of Granny Smith. Yeah, and, me too. And they're so easy to find. And they're pretty firm. Like, they don't break I down so much. I love how tart they are. And I was like, okay, you don't have to add lemon juice. Yeah. They're already, all the tartness yeah. is, is there. But I do love Pink Lady because I do think they have great sweet tart balance and they hold their shape really well. Now, speaking of lemon juice, like I usually would put a squeeze with my apple pie filling, but I'm loving that you're using the secret ingredient. It's apple cider vinegar in the <laughs> filling. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. I love the kind of like parallelism of the apple cider vinegar and an apple pie. And again, it's a pantry item, like so easy to find. Also, I think like literally at a bodega, you can get apple cider vinegar. And I like that it's just a thing you can grab off the shelf and you don't have to go get a lemon, you know, as, totally. as like a separate fresh ingredient. All you need are the apples. And then, of course, it's, there's the apple. There's a part where it's made from apples. And I just really like that. Yeah. I always put apple cider, a little bit of apple cider vinegar in my pie in the dough, dough. Because right. I just love that. I love the smell when you're making yeah. it. And I love the it, tanginess. But I love the idea of putting it in the filling. I thought that was so smart. Orange bitters, you say they're optional. optional. Again, are they just adding to that vanilla orange brown sugar situation yeah, just like that kind of it just has that kind of complexity that you don't even really notice but it just makes everything taste more appley and more almost that like cider taste that you get but also I mean very optional because it's like more yeah. of a kind of specialty yeah I also love that there's a little bit of vanilla because I always put van- I'm like very vanilla forward and yeah, I always me too. to put it in I'm like oh I think this filling could use some vanilla yeah I love that and that's one thing where it's like I have it in a squeeze bottle so I'm always just like well me too. like a one second squeeze I have like the squeeze and I'm like oops <laughs> right um, favorite brand of vanilla I love Halala oh nice yeah. yeah they're wonderful oh good and then this recipe has melted butter um, mm-hmm. and I'll we'll talk in a second how it gets applied but yeah. um for richness. Yeah, I think apples plus butter plus cinnamon. It's like, how can you beat that? Yeah, you have to. Okay, the assembly. You're mixing in this large bowl. You're going to mix the cinnamon sugar, remove two tablespoons for sprinkling. Mm -hmm. I loved in the video of the apple crumb pie, you gave some tips on peeling all the apples first and then slicing. Yeah. I think that's great because a lot of people think, oh, I got to cut each one as I go because maybe they think they're going to get brown. I don't know. But I I thought that was a great. Yeah, more efficient. Yeah. Definitely like a, like a restaurant thing, you yeah. know, like you do all every step. With that one tool, right. get rid of that tool and move right. to your and next. and then move on, right. Yep. It's like less sort of in between time of like the time that it takes to put down the knife and pick up the peeler, yep. you know, you're kind of wasting time. 100%. Which like I don't know if anyone cares about, but it, it definitely is more efficient Well, I have overall. to say it resonated for me, so at least I care. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then your apple cutting technique. Can you talk about it? You yeah. slice next to the core and then lay it down. Yes. So I, rather than... 
cutting in half through the core, right. scooping, you know, cutting the core out yep. and then slicing. I find it more efficient to actually cut down alongside the core, kind of avoiding it. And you cut off what I, I call it like a lobe, like a lobe of the apple. And then you give it a 90 degree turn and you cut down around the core on all four sides. And then you have this like rectangular thing of like the core, which I also then I nibble on yeah. because there's like bits of apple at the stem end and the bottom. Yeah, chef's treat. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I also like to eat the apple skin yeah. when I'm slicing. Oh, I yeah, love the I skin. Peel. Yeah. Would you ever use a – sometimes I use, I have – I think it's an OXO apple core. Would you oh, use that? I, so I call for actually an apple core in – I have an apple cake in the book oh. where I call for it. But in this case, I just – it's so much faster because it's like you're just holding the knife All right, the I'm whole gonna time. Do, that's – yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I go back and forth between thinly sliced apples and chunkier apples. And I'm definitely now leaning – I lean toward the chunky Yeah, side. you were saying – you like that it gets translucent when it's yeah. baked and then the yeah. texture of I it. I love the texture. And you said about a half an inch. Yeah. About half an inch. It does lead to more like shrinking of the filling uh, because the bigger the pieces, the bigger the kind of air gaps between oh. the slices. Literally just press down on the apples yeah. inside the crust and compact them. There's always some kind of shrinking of the filling. Right, which just happens. Yeah. So your apples are ready. You add the dry ingredients from the filling, the sugar, the starch, the zest, and the salt to the bowl with the cinnamon sugar. Add the apples, the vinegar, and the vanilla. Your pie dough's been in the fridge. Add your filling. And I love this, which people don't always know. The apples will have released some juice, but you want them to use the juice. You don't want people to think, oh, it'll be soggy. I better get rid of it. Right. I bake fruit pies for an incredibly long time. And so I'm like, yeah, put the juice in because also that juice has dissolved sugars and some of the starch in it. It's like I want you to put everything in. And some people, I think like Sarah Carey does this in a lot of her fruit pies, and she's an amazing pie maker. But she'll basically let everything macerate, meaning she'll mm -hmm. mix all the filling ingredients or at least just the fruit filling with the sugar. Let the sugar draw out all the liquid, and then we'll cook down the liquid. I think Rose Levy Berenbaum does it too in, oh, yeah. in her pie book. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great technique. But I feel like for apple pie, because apples are not like the juiciest of all the fruits, and there's some starch in there. Yep. It's just not necessary. Also, again, it's just because of my easy nature, simple yeah. nature, but it's a teeny bit too fussy for me. Yes. It takes time. Yeah. I need to like let it cool yep. again. Yep. Yeah. I loved this tip. When you put the apples into the lined pie plate, you have people stick apples into the nook. Yes. Can you tell us about nook sticking? Yeah. That was also a Tara Jensen tip that uh. I picked up because I... Years and years and years ago when I was at BA, she did a pie workshop. I remember. And this is yeah. where I picked this yeah. up. Yeah. And we and it was apple pie. And so she had just, you do that. It doesn't take very long. Yeah. It sounds fussy, but it's really not. You're just taking apple slices and fitting them into that, that same area where the sides meet the bottom. And it's just helping to prevent, that's where you're most likely to make big air pockets if you just dump the whole filling in. And then you would get a more dramatic kind of shrinking down of that filling. So just doing that one little step where you just make kind of a ring gives you like a base, and then you can literally just dump the rest of the filling in. Yeah, It just helps to fill out the crust. Yep. For this particular pie, because it's a double-crusted pie, not only did you roll out that dough and put it into your pie plate, but you also rolled out another, the other yes, piece the to second. be the top. After you make the filling, you roll out the dough, put the pie plate in the fridge, but you roll the other half and keep it at room temp. You want right. that a little bit malleable. Yes. If you, especially for the top, because a thin pie crust, if you rolled out, if you chill, it can get a little brittle. Yes. So you just want to avoid that. Which, yes. if that happens, just let it warm up on your Also, counter. the filling is so quick, it's not going to yes. be, it's not going to be sitting there for very long. Right. So the fillings in our pie crust, you're using a little bit of water around the edge as the glue to it. Why not an egg wash? Yeah, I thought about it and I almost did egg wash, but you're not egg washing the surface of the pie. Yeah. It's actually melted butter, which right. I know we'll get to. But it felt okay, do you really need a whole egg to use the equivalent of probably a teaspoon? And then you're going to have 90% of this beaten egg left right. over. So I was like, water, it's not as good a glue yeah. as egg. But it does the job. I didn't want to make anyone I annoyed, you know, that I they get like, used a whole egg. But here's my other question. How come you didn't do egg wash? So just, again, sorry, spoiler alert, peeps. So Claire will have you brush the top of the pie dough with melted butter and then sprinkle on that cinnamon sugar. And so my question was, why wasn't it egg wash in both places? Yeah. So I almost am always egg washing pastry because it gets it so shiny and brown and it looks so pretty. But the inspiration for this pie was like cinnamon sugar and butter mm. combination of just, it's just like the best flavor mm. ever. And of course, I want that with apples. So 
there's some melted butter that you drizzle over the apples when they're inside the pie plate. You reserve, I think it's just a tablespoon of melted butter. Yeah. And you brush that over the entire top of the pie, which surprisingly in one tablespoon gives you like plenty of coverage. And what I like about that, not only the flavor, of course, and that like mingles with the cinnamon sugar, but there's a little bit of water in that butter. And when you sprinkle the cinnamon sugar over it, it dissolves a little bit of the sugar and it creates this almost like crackly oh, pretty. kind of, I mean, you would get that with egg too because yeah. there's water in egg, but it creates this kind of, it's hard to describe, but like sparkly, yeah. kind of crackled, like crunchy surface. And it was just this, it was just this combination of pastry and cinnamon and sugar and yeah. butter that I just couldn't resist. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So we didn't talk about the baking time, but it's basically a 400 degree oven. Yeah. You're going to put the pie plate on a baking sheet. Yeah, always. Do you ever keep the baking sheet in the oven while it's preheating so that it's warm when you add the pie plate to, like, avoid a a soggy bottom? I've preheated it before, but, again, because I bake pies for so long, I'm just like, in the end, by the the time you're done baking it, it's like, I don't think the head start made that much of a difference. And then that's 400 degrees for 20 minutes. Then you're lowering the temp to 350 and I just love you for how long you want to bake a pie. We're going for like at least an hour, if not an hour and 10 minutes after that. Like yes. We're talking almost 90 minutes. People don't understand how long you have to bake a pie yeah. to have a set filling and to have the color that you want. Yeah. I tell people it's not like I tell people you're not cooking a steak. It's not like you have right. to remove it from the oven right at the point of doneness and that there is this like specific point of doneness. And after that, it's overcooked. It is almost impossible to overbake a fruit pie. Yeah. The only thing you can really do is burn the, the pastry. Right. You know? Right. Which I've done before. Right. But I'm like, yes, but then the filling is perfect. Right. You know? Exactly. So, like, put a little foil over it or whatever. <laughs> and you're I'd fine. rather have, and I tell people, I'd rather have a very well done crust yeah. and, a, and a set filling than Me too. underdone in the center. And then I also love this, which I think you said this in the video and maybe not in the book, but that you like to wait a day to eat your pie. Like, yeah. you're, you want to make a pie and eat it the next day. And that's just better. Like, it's just really sets yes. if you do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, warm pie is delicious. Right. But I, the satisfaction you get when you pull out a slice yes. with, like, clean cut sides and, like, just a tiniest bit of ooze in the center of the pie plate. Perfect. But, like, no, no like, gushing yep. pieces. Okay, the crumb-topped one. We mostly talked about it, but I personally, and I think you too as well, a crumb-topped apple pie is so delicious yeah. because it's crumble plus right, pie, like right. the two best desserts. Right. It's really the best of both worlds. A hundred percent. And you describe it post-bake as having this crunchy lid of topping, which just sounds like I need to eat it for dinner. The crumb to- topping here is old-fashioned oats, unsalted butter, sugar, cinnamon. Uh-huh. And I don't want to rock your world, but like you make a big deal about like it has to be old-fashioned. It's going to sound crazy, but I do make crumbles with one-minute oats. Or inst- oh, yeah? And they're actually – because you said, I think, don't use one minute because it'll get soggy. They actually get crispy. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I'm try it. I mean, I, I'm I, just so used to the – Of course you Only are. the old-fashioned. No, of course you are. It was like yeah. a whole new thing for me. But I – again, in my book, I was trying to – maybe you don't have old-fashioned. Maybe you only have yeah, an instant. Yeah. You can use it. But anyway, I wanted to I love you. that. It's the kind of thing where there is no – there is no better or no. worse. It's just – using it in the way that it needs to be used. Right, 100%. Right? The nice thing about old-fashioned for people is it does have texture of yeah. like, and when you use instant, it's less of a texture like individual pieces right, of right, oat, right. and it's more just like a crispiness. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you said this because this is just like me, but often in a crumb pie, there is some chopped up butter that goes on top of the filling before you add the, or maybe even in all fruit pies. And you said that's the thing I always forget. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always forget that. Yeah. But is that just crumb pies for you? Or is no, I think it's pretty much any like top crust right. any pie with a right. with a top. Like crust. you're using melted butter in the cinnamon sugar one and right. then like whole little pieces. But I always yeah, yeah, yeah. finish putting on the crumble or the pie and then look over and there's I know. Um, I know there are two little two tablespoons yeah. of butter yeah, yeah. waiting for you. I thought this was interesting too about the baking of the crumb topped pie in the video. You talk about seeing the juices around the edge. And I've always been taught to look for them in the middle, grab a little yeah, yeah, toothpick yeah. and search. Are the edges enough to tell us? No, I think the middle is okay. the thing to look for. I think it's more important in a juicier pie. Okay. It's just it's just harder to see in that pie. When you have a lattice, it's really easy yep. to see. Or a berry pie or like a, any kind of summer fruit yep. pie. 
like you have to look for bubbling in the center. Yep. Otherwise, yep. you've not activated right. the thickener. Yeah. And, like, it'll yeah. be and you can be. see like the raspberries will be all bubbly on the edges. But if you look in the center, they're just like, hi. Yep. And that's why you should bake it for a very, very long time. So long. Blackberry pie forever. Yeah. Two hours. I've baked a sour cherry pie for two hours and I was like, it could have gone longer. All right, let's talk about, even though I love apple pie so much, I could talk about it forever. I did want to mention the blue, the blueberry slab pie from Dessert Person. As a slab pie lover from way back, first of all, I love that you're assembling it in a classic half-sheet pan because often those recipes, I think when they were first coming out in Martha, I think that was the first place I saw them, but for Ed, anyway, they were done in a jelly roll pan in, yeah. a, in a 10 by 15. And it's just so nice. If you're making a slab pie, make a huge pie. Right. I do think it's a trade-off, though, because I get the jelly roll because it is slightly more manageable. I yes. will say that, like, a half-sheet size slab pie, it's, it's just a lot of rolling. It's it a is. lot of dough and a lot of rolling. And for the dough, because of that, you do have the home baker prepared in a food processor. Yes, that because it's basically scaled up, like, four times. Yep. I was like, just food processor, it's too much work to do by hand. Yep. And then, again, when you're talking about, for this particularly blueberry slab pie, it's not a lattice crust per se, but it strips Yes, much easier than, yeah, yeah. 100%. I thought that was brilliant. It looks so pretty. I love the way it looks. gorgeous. And you cut the strips first, then roll out that huge piece of, this is what I wondered. I feel like I've done this in a slab pie, though maybe I'm wrong. Could you roll it out on a piece of parchment and then lift the parchment and put it into your... Okay. I've never had a lot of success with that technique. Okay. Because then once you've placed it over the filling, yeah. how do you get the parchment out? No, I meant put it down when you're adding it to the bottom crust. Could you lift up the parchment and put it down in? Oh, and then just bake it on the parchment? Inside the sheet pan. Oh, I never tried that. But just what I sometimes run into trouble because of, it takes so long to roll out slab pie dough yeah. that by or dough for a slab pie that by the time it's ready, it is it's, yeah, it's soft. It's soft. Yeah. So I've had trouble transferring that it makes to the sense. pan. So I have rolled it out on the parchment and move and put the yeah. parchment into that's the so smart into the sheep. And I thought that was a little. That's just my that's my that's addition. A great idea. <laughs> yeah. No, because you're exactly right. It's a huge volume of yes. dough. Yes. That's a great idea. I never tried it. Oh, I thought you meant like, can you assemble the kind of like no. lattice topping on parchment and then put it on top? No, no, no. That would be weird. Then yeah. you'd have to do I've like a flip. I've seen people do it, yeah. right? Where they're, there's like a, it's like the tablecloth and then with, the, with the table set on top yeah. of the, right. Like, but I've yeah. never, I've never done it successfully. Um, all right. The filling for this pie is nice and simple and delish. Yeah. It's blueberries. Can they be frozen or fresh? Frozen or fresh? I do prefer frozen. I think blueberry pie is the perfect use for frozen blueberries. Great. And it's so summery, but you can really, it would taste amazing in the middle of winter. Can you tell the listeners the brand that you mentioned that you thought was really great if somebody wants to make a blueberry pie in the middle of the winter and wants to use frozen berries? Yeah. I love the Wyman's of Maine, wild, frozen wild Maine blueberries. I love And I love them because not only do they have great flavor, they're really small. And so you can pack a huge amount of blueberries into a slab pie because, you know, they're smaller. They kind of, they fit into the pie crust like you can just get more in they're wonderful cornstarch is in this filling some lemon juice salt vanilla ginger cinnamon and cardamom and i love that for this particular slab pie you say you don't need i'm not even decorating the edges here yeah let's just get this baby it's in so the much oven. work we've already you know we've already like deserved like many pats on the back right <laughs> you call for an egg wash here and then demera sugar mm-hmm. is that the same as turbinata yeah basically okay. okay i think not in like a technical sense but i've always seen when it's like labeled at the grocery store, I'm like, this is the same thing. Yeah, but you, because it's funny, I always grab the turbinado, but you always grab the demera. I, I often buy, the stuff that I reach for is like the sugar in the raw, which I think is actually labeled turbinado. Exactly. That's, the, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But demerara is like basically the it's same the thing. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. And also just a quick tip for people making a slab pie, the pan that the pie is in, you're going to place into another pan, yes. another sheet pan that's been preheated just to help get it baking right yeah, away. Yeah, That is because also if you're using frozen blueberries, it's like it's very cold. And one of the advantages of frozen fruit in any pie is that it increases your work time with yeah. the dough because it's like chilling your dough basically yep. as you work. But then it takes a very long time for it to heat up in the oven. So that's going to help you get that. Because especially on a slab pie, you want really golden brown yeah. across the bottom. And then I want to talk about the sour cherry pie briefly. Again, from Dessert Person. And I love this. It's sour cherries, which most of us can only get for a certain amount of time in June, July. But you're recommending that even if you picked them fresh or bought them at the farmer's market fresh, that we freeze them. Can you tell us 
I mean, it's the same thing you said earlier, but just yeah. reiterate why it's yeah. nice to use the frozen berries. I think it's especially important for sour cherry mm-hmm. because, well, for two reasons. One, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Like pitting, I think it's eight cups of sour cherries yeah, in that recipe. Takes, yeah. It's a lot. It takes forever. I remember, and every summer, I haven't done this the last couple summers, but I, for a stretch, every summer I would buy a flat of oh sour gosh. cherries. I would go to the farmer's market, yep. talk to someone, be like, can I order? Yep. You know, I'd order it a week in advance. Yep. So a flat is 16 pints or eight quarts or something like that. And I would take them home and pit them. And like my kitchen would look like a crime scene at the end because they're so juicy. And that cherry juice would just splatter over and every over surface. Oh, my hands would be dyed. Yeah. It was insane. So it's a lot of work. So I'm like, divide up the work, pit them, you know, at a different time in advance and then freeze them. But the freezing is also very important because sour cherries, again, because they're so juicy, the second you mix together a pitted sour cherry and sugar, you're going to get like pools of juice, like just so much juice being pulled out of that fruit. And when you're assembling a fruit pie, that juice will pool in your crust and make it hard for you to attach a top crust. It's just going to like start to like cover the pastry in a way that's not helpful. And if you have a very thin kind of layer of fruit juice on your pastry, that's going to burn. And then that really... That, that creates problems when you're making a juicy fruit pie that you want to bake for two hours or longer. Yeah. It's like that any little patch that gets some fruit juice on it, that's going to burn. I also feel quickly. like it sometimes leaks and then it's it hard leaks. to get the slab pie or any pie out of the. Right. So I actually recommend um, it's good if you're going to do a really juicy pie, try baking it in a deep dish because you're less likely to get those juices. If you really mound up the filling, you'll often get, you'll just get so much juice mm-hmm. running onto your baking sheet. So it's better to do it actually with some higher sides. Yep. But I just, so like the freezing prevents all that juice from being pulled out and making it more difficult to form your pie. And it's helping keep the crust cold. So yeah, you bake it longer, but it's just so much easier. It doesn't adversely affect the flavor or the texture at all. People are like, shouldn't I defrost the berry? I'm like, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Please don't. This pie has a lattice topping, which is a little bit more complicated, hence yeah. it's a dessert person recipe. Do you want to share any fast and dirty lattice tips? I li- Visually speaking, I like a lattice that is like a little thicker, a little more tightly woven. I think it just looks prettier. And I like a lattice that starts with a strip across, like bisects the pie, like mm-hmm. goes straight across the middle. And then one that goes in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Like, I just like when you have that kind of basically forms a cross yep. in the center. So it's like an odd number of strips on going in each direction. Yep. And other than that, you know, you just basket weave. Yep. Not, not that that's, like, easy. Watch, right. You know, watch but a YouTube in, video. They're good instructions. Yeah, there's a yeah. step-by-step in yeah, the book. Yeah, 100%. And you also mentioned, which is important for people to realize, there is extra cornstarch and sugar with those sour cherries because of all the juice they yeah. release. There's a lot, yes, a lot of sugar and a lot of thickener. But it's, yep. it's there yep. for a reason. Yep. And I love that you're, again, this came up with apples, but you're pressing on that filling in the pie plate to remove any air pocket Mm -hmm. before you're putting on your lattice. Right. Before your lattice. Yep. And then egg wash for attaching the lattice and brushing the whole pie, and then that demerit sugar. And then I just wanted to end with fried sour cherry ham pies from What's for Dessert because I'm a ham pie obsessive and fried is my favorite food. (laughs) <laughs> so this just sounded so good. I know yeah. it's a teeny bit more complicated because you have to cook the cherries. They're just so juicy. And in a ham pie, like, the filling doesn't, it's not sitting in anything. No. So if you're getting, like, lots of juices, then that's really annoying. Yep. A fried ham pie takes five minutes or so in, in the oil. And so yeah. you're not getting the same, like, evaporation and the thickening of yep. the juices that happen inside yep. the oven. Hence the cooking both of the cherries and then reducing the juice yes. and cooking that down as well. Right. Yep. So when I was growing up, we had a sour cherry tree in our front yard. So that's a very nostalgic yeah. thing. My mom used to make sour cherry pies, which she never baked long enough. <laughs> they were always like so liquidy, but so delicious. Yeah. Just yum. like the best flavor. Yum, yum. So I love, I love sour cherry pie is probably, you know, as I said at the top, like I'm a fruit dessert person. Yep. And then, I, you know, kind of like going up the, the pyramid. Then I'm like an apple dessert person, and then at the very top of sour cherry. Yeah. So you oh, really hit, oh, you've good. highlighted the, the, right, the, yeah. all the kind of favorite recipes. So that, the fried sour cherry hand pies came because it was like, I can't not include a variation on a sour cherry pie in the book. And I love that it's not baked. It's fried stovetop. The pie dough gets so flaky oh in the oil. Like yeah. it's, 
It's just... And just so people know, it's that same pie dough that we talked about from what's for dessert. Right. It's just cut into, I think you cut it into a total of, if you're making eight pies, so it's a total of 16 little squares, correct? It's, so it's eight or larger it, squares and then it's folded over. Yes. Yeah, like a yeah. little easier. Yeah. You know, there's, it's, you could form them any way that yeah. you like if you've made hand pies before. Yeah. It's like a turnover, yes. basically, style. There's some flexibility in the recipe. So if you want to try frying, if you only want to fry four, because maybe eight feels like a lot, you could bake the, there's instructions for baking them if so you want to bake them. Yeah. Which you are just also cut a little delicious. slit. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I'm just like, a, anything in my hand is like way more delicious yeah. than in a bowl or a plate. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Any frying tips? With the sour cherry pies, pie dough isn't like super high moisture. So it's actually very like low key. It's not like you're putting it into the oil and it's, bubbling up like yeah. crazy and like splattering and scary. It doesn't even like do that much. Yeah. It just kind of like hangs out until yeah. it's, you know, super golden brown and then you take it out. So I give some tips like use a Dutch oven, something yep. with high sides. Yep. Two Pay, inches of oil. Yeah, right. Pay attention to the temperature, Temp- right. like, you know, the, the basics. The kind of the basics. Yeah. Anyway, Claire, thank you so much for chatting with me. I just love, love, love talking baking with you. And I just wanted to tell you that you are my cherry pie. Thank you so much. It was so much fun to be here. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Le Creuset and California Prunes for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on your favorite podcast platform and tell your baking buddies about us. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network and is recorded at City Vox Studios in Manhattan. Our producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, and our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. Thank you so much for listening to She's My Cherry Pie, and happy baking.